Well, it can't be that bad, mate. Alright, let's see. Unless, of course, I need to go on video at any particular time. Which I don't. I've been reading this, uh... <coughs> these books by, uh... Paul, uh, well, Paul A. Leviolette, yeah, I've been reading. But... Before I read anything by Paul A. LaViolette, I had actually come across the works of Joseph P. Farrell. And uh, Joseph P. Farrell, um, the first book I came across of his was called The Cosmic War, um, Modern Physics in Ancient Texts. And that, of course, led me to the work of Paul A. LaViolette, which... Um, Paul A. Leviolette. Hey, what's up, Plumpy? Uh, Paul A. Leviolette actually uh, wrote some uh, cool books called uh, The Secrets of Anti-Gravity Propulsion. But right now, I'm doing, I'm being efficient because I, I like to create content, for one, because I like to hear the sound of my own voice. But also, ha, 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 um, I get paid for the content on my podcast platform that I use on Spreaker. And because, of course, you know, there's only so much time in a day, um, I'd spend hours and hours reading. And then I'd have to go find some content to put on my podcast. Well, so, well, I just combined them together and made something called World Reading Club, which in part was for that. But the other reason was also to honor... Uh, Floor Elizabeth Carrasco, because she was also an avid reader. We'd spend hours hanging out together, just sitting around, laying around together, you know, cuddling and reading books. And so World Reading Club was born out of that. And these books that I've been reading, I revisited uh, Babylon's Banksters by Joseph P. Farrell, which was published in um, 2010. And... Uh, Oh, yeah, I definitely will. There's actually, um, I have a link to Babylon's Banksters, the actual book you can download from archive.org, um, and uh, you can look at it. But I've been reading it as well with my own commentary. And, um, oh, yeah, the podcast, I'll, I'll actually put the link to my main podcast page, and then you can, uh, you can find um, the World Reading Club on there. And if I don't look at all the, the, the comments and everything right away, it's because I'm driving still, doing Uber. Um, but, yeah, the Babylon's Banksters is subtitled um, The Alchemy of Deep Physics, High Finance, and Ancient Religions. And it really is getting deep. But also the other author, Paul Ayla Violet, writes about similar things. And it's very convincing whether or not these are works of pure fiction or like very, very good science fiction, because that's what it would amount to if no, none of it is real, is that it's extremely good science fiction, that um, they've come to some interesting conclusions through the research that they've cited extensively in both of their books, that it's just, it's hard not to give it uh, another look. Um, so as soon as I get to stop, I'll post the links here for the podcast that I've been doing, the readings. And I've been doing them alongside reading um, some more serious books, if you will, which are, I've been reading Adam Smith, uh, Wealth of Nations from 1776, 
um, in tandem with the Little Book of Economics and How Money Works. And uh, they've been going along quite well. Babylon's Banksters, because it was, uh, you know, Banksters, which is a, you know, a, a melding of the words um, banker and gangsters. Um, it goes wrong because it's supposedly going into the deep origins of, of money and its uses, and they go really far back into history to Babylon and how it's related to temples, and and uh, and it's got um, astrology and tarot. I mean, dude. Genesis of the Cosmos, one of Paul Elo Violet's books. He's a PhD, and he writes in a similar vein, but a little bit more technical. He developed something called subquantum kinetics, and uh, I don't know, man. This stuff is really far out there. How you doing, Plumpy? Were you in the room the whole time? You were pretty silent when we were uh, over at um, uh, Rab's room a little bit earlier. And, uh, yeah, I'm going to put the podcast link, but... Oh, man. I'm picking up somebody named Jonathan in a moment here. And uh, I've only been driving. It hasn't been driving that long. When I looked at the time, like, I've made so much money in such a short period of time tonight. It just seems like I've been driving longer, but it's only been since about, like, 9.45. And uh, so, so four hours. I suppose I could take a break soon if I wanted to. I probably should. But I can take a break whenever I feel like it, which is the cool thing about uh, driving with Uber. I was going to say uh, nice words tonight to Reza, and I wasn't there fully at Rab's, but you're always an inspiration, and I always uh, appreciate what you have to say. Well, I appreciate you for saying that. I mean, I do my best. It's taken me a long time in my life to be as aware as I possibly can, and I have a long way to go about myself and my motivations and, you know, mm -hmm. a lot of self-reflection that goes a long way. But I just, um, I've just realized I just want to exist in a world with as little conflict as possible, and the only way I can start doing that is by starting with myself, you know? Mm-hmm. Here, let me subscribe to you. There, okay, you got a new subscriber. I'm surprised I haven't done that yet. Oh, to this um, particular uh, podcast here, the Unique Equilibrium one. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm so not. I'm not on here too terribly much. So yeah. Anyway. Yeah, I'm in here every day because it's a good backdrop to be able to. To um, I liken it to being like a truck driver because I drive so much and just being right. on the TV radio with everybody, you know, mm -hmm. just having the voices as I drive. I mean, I realized my grandfather was a truck driver on my mom's side, and you know that's how they would kind of entertain themselves or keep busy if they weren't, you know, while they're on the road, if they're, especially if they're alone, is mm -hmm. you know just having that connection with people, just shooting the shit and letting each yeah. other know about different road hazards or whatever, you know, police and whatever stuff is happening. So. You know. Oh, for sure. Well, sir, I don't know if you want to pose. I don't know if you want to like. Oh, uh, yeah. Let me. Um, let me uh, see if I can post this. Um, here. Real quick. Let me just. Here, I'm following you now. Jeez, dude, I've never seen your picture. You look. You you look beast mode. Yeah, I'm a little less 
beast mode now because of the fact that I, I wanted to try out um, uh, to challenge um, Betty when she said that eating too many mashed potatoes will make you fat. And so in one week, like I lost a, uh, I was like, what the hell? She's right. Okay, let me, I, I stopped for a oh, second. Yeah. Let me get my um, podcast page up here. She wanted to give you a dad bod? Yeah, I was like, know what was going on? I was like, bro. <laughs> I was like, I don't believe you. She's like, I need you. I need, I need you to be more relatable. Like, come on now. And I, um, yeah, I fell for it. Where's my... That's fine. But, um. Yeah, it's just it's interesting because I was eating like mashed potatoes and uh, um, mac and cheese like every mm. night before I went to sleep. Mm. <laughs> so it was. Uh, all right, I'm almost there to the. Uh, there we go. Right, That'll so give you a good poop for the morning. I'll give the. Um, uh, here we go. There's the link to the podcast there we go um and yeah and it'll it, it'll go to the first page of my podcast and it'll have the different links to the different podcasts i do and the one that i've been doing the readings from mostly our world reading club and the one that's listed as equilibrium. nice so, okay babylon's banksters is in that one too so okay. i don't think i've heard of this uh spreaker before yeah, I like it. I've been using it since 2014, and they actually bought oh. a company, company that I first started podcasting on, which was, um, yeah, unfortunately, all of my content from 2014 is not on here because um, at one time I had a free account, and they delete stuff after a certain amount of storage, but now I pay for it, so uh, Anchorman uh um, but, they, but they bought a company that I start, first started podcasting on back in 2007, which was called Blog Talk Radio, which was really cool because you'd actually, it was like hooked up to your phone. So you'd call in and it would link multiple phones together like a conference call and then it would record it online. It was pretty dope. I wish nice. they still had it. It was actually really cool. Nice. Cool, Hakeem. I got these bookmarked. Uh, I got the uh, holding it down one, too. I'll check that out tomorrow awesome. morning. Well, thanks for stopping uh -oh. by. Appreciate you, brother. Yeah. I'm out for the night, so yeah. have a good one. All right, you too. Be well. All right, man. Adios. Take care. Yes, so appreciate Plumpy stopping by. I'm uh, talking about conspiracy hypotheses. You know, people always say conspiracy theories, but... um. You know, aren't they more hypothetical than anything else? The theory technically should have more basis behind it. But, you know, I'm really enjoying, there's this one, and it's not even really conspiracy theory because it's not saying it's anything nefarious. But supposedly, according to several researchers that uh, Joseph P. Farrell cites, um, Nikola Tesla, he was responsible for the Tunguska incident. Um, in 1908, I think it was, where a huge, giant patch of Russia, uh, an area that wasn't very populated, was hit with a detonation that never hit the sky. They, they speculated that it was a meteorite that hit the ground, but they found no crater, no impact crater. Um, the researchers on site also speculated that it could have been an, a mostly 
ice, a meteorite mostly composed of ice, but it um, it didn't uh, have any debris from that. So the speculations are not really sound. Do you need a light? If you, if you need to, you can press a button right above your head over there. And um, it might sound like I'm talking to myself, but I'm doing I'm just talking on a um, an audio app right now, which is like a social podcasting thing. Just taking some notes. So, so the thing about the about Tesla, supposedly, so Tesla had this experiment in a place called Wardenclyffe, and um, he really details the research about his experiments, and at first he had funding from J.P. Morgan, as the story goes, but then suddenly J.P. Morgan pulled his funding when Marconi uh, actually tested the, the telephone, which was based off of Nikola Tesla's work. So the Tesla, Tesla actually was the inventor of the telephone, but they they gave the credit to Marconi at first, and um, and then that, and then J.P. Morgan at the same time or around the same time pulled his funding, and because the Tesla got desperate for funding, he started actually detailing more and more about his work publicly, specifically a few times in in the New York Times, and. The Tunguska explosion that happened over Russia, I think it was around the same time in 1908, was uh, supposedly some researchers say that it was Nikola Tesla's device or his technology that in one way used the earth as a transmitter and the, and the atmosphere as a ground where normal radio uses the Earth as a grounding and the atmosphere as a transmitter for radio waves. But his was the opposite. But the thing is that he said that he could send nearly, like, limitless amounts of energy and power through the air, I mean, well, through the ground, through the Earth itself, to any point on the Earth. And um, by doing this, thereby transmit wireless technology to anybody anywhere to as much power with only a loss of about 5%. And um, and by doing this, he also found that not only could it benefit humanity greatly, but that it could also be used as a destructive weapon. And that he even started to describe when he became desperate for funding, he started describing how um, the, the need for for bombers and airships um, during around World War One would be unnecessary. And one of the things he says, you know, people hear airplanes in the sky and they get scared because of the war and all that. He says they would become unnecessary because this weapon that could be used that people started calling a death ray at the time was could hit targets with more precision than anything else. And part of the reason was because his device at Wardenclyffe under the ground, 
He said that both electrically and physically it gripped and could shake or quake the earth if it wanted to. But that it could also measure the, the diameter of the earth, which was then at that time unknown, within a few kilometers. And so by doing so, not only being able to measure it, he could precisely target any target on the earth and take out the target, sort of like what people are claiming is happening in, in Hawaii, directed energy weapons. That's the whole big deal that everybody's talking about today, directed energy weapons. Everybody's talking about DEWs, right? Well, Tesla was the original inventor of direct energy weapons. And supposedly that Tunguska experiment was actually his testing of it in an unpopulated area because he was desperate for funding. And um, But this device could physically and electrically grip the Earth and then transmit energy to any point on the Earth precisely and also not only be used to benefit humanity by providing clean wireless energy and also communication, but at the same time also if in the wrong hands or used in the wrong purposes could be used as a weapon. And um, so that's an interesting take on what happened in Tung Tunguska since there was no impact crater and there was no debris. So even the whole idea that some, uh, you know, fringe researchers or even so-called other conspiracy theorists say that it was a UFO that blew up over Tunguska in Russia there was no debris. So no debris, not a big giant ice meteor, not a UFO, not a comet or a meteor hitting the earth, no crater, no debris. So what was it? Right? What could create such a, a big amount of devastation and destroy like hundreds of kilometers of forest and wipe out a whole population of reindeer, right? Like just destroy all these things, vaporize them, but no debris. So unless it's a direct energy weapon, at least that's what people are calling it today, then all the newspapers were calling it a death ray. And another thing that Tesla did supposedly, he drove around in an electric car for five days without having to recharge it, and also shook the Empire State Building with a device that fit in his pocket. So, And, and some newspapers recorded this. So, you know, you wonder what kind of technology he's working with. Well, it's, I mean, there's patents that have been hidden. Um, when, when he died in the New York hotel, which he was staying there by giving the, the deed to his Wardenclyffe property to the uh, owner of that hotel um, as collateral for his promise to stay at the hotel. But, you know, he couldn't pay, and then there was a whole court trial and even in the, the court transcripts, he talks about this technology because he's being questioned on the stand. And so in the transcripts, you can even read him talking about this device that could potentially be used not only, again, to benefit humanity, but also as a very dangerous weapon. Um, and in earlier work, in, in later work compiled by, um, by Joseph P. Farrell in his book, Cosmic War, um, Modern Physics in Ancient Texts, he talks about this a similar type of weapon where, uh, first of all, it in, in this cosmic war that's often written about by this researcher, 
supposedly as his, as he tells it, um, there's a scalar resonance weapon, which in the same way that a um, an opera singer can tune into the frequency of a glass, and if they tune into it long enough, they can shatter the glass. Which interestingly is research that's been done in Arizona at a, at by some physicists there. I think Sankey is the name of one of them. And then also that's the technology behind um, Royal Raymond Rife's frequency generator that could kill disease. Also, Hulda Reger Clark, who's the author of The Cure for All Diseases and The Cure for All Cancers. Interestingly and ironically enough, she died of cancer, which some people probably could speculate was a hit job. Um, but they all focus on frequencies. And one of the frequencies that I published in my podcast called um, Solfeggio and the Seas, one of them is very close to the Solfeggio frequency 174, which a bunch of Indian researchers said could be used to kill COVID-19. And I took one of their frequencies and I made a binaural beat about it, out of it. But um, this is all similar resonance uh, technology, vi vibrational frequency um, technology. But so a little precursor to the, the scalar weapons technology that literally is planet busting and actually can destroy planets and stars according to the researchers um, for one the distance from the sun to the earth is called an astronomical unit but let's just for the purposes of, of this discussion this, that we'll call an astronomical unit the distance from um, or let's call it this, let's call it a Mercury unit. So, because the distance from the Sun to Mercury, the closest planet to the Sun. So we'll call that a Mercury unit. So, one Mercury unit is the distance from the Sun to Mercury. Now, there's something called a Fibonacci sequence that goes 1, 1, 2, 3, 5, 8, 13, 21. And it's basically just adding the previous number to it. So, 1 plus 1 is 2. 1 plus 2 is 3, um, 2 plus 3 is 5, 3 plus 5 is 8, and so on. You know, uh, 8 plus 5 is 13, and, you know, and 8 plus 13 is 21, and that's how the Fibonacci sequence goes. Well, the planets in our solar system are at approximately a Fibonacci sequence, being one Mercury unit is the distance from Mercury from the sun. Well, two Mercury. Well, another Mercury unit is the same distance that Venus is away from Mercury. And then two Mercury units is the distance that the Earth is from Venus. And then three Mercury units is the distance that Mars is away from Earth. But then at five Mercury units, there's supposed to be a planet there. But instead, we find the Kuiper belt. It's an asteroid belt full of a bunch of rocks and stuff like that. And then after that, you get the next planet. Well, supposedly... Um, the planet that was supposed to be there um, in this Kuiper belt, there was a, a war with the beings on Mars and that other planet that's supposed to be after Mars. Sorry, I, I, may, I mixed up the orders. Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars, and then a planet is after Mars, and then the next planet after that. So um, you're supposed to have a planet after Mars, but supposedly that civilization had a war with Mars according to the researchers, and they use this scalar resonance weapon, which, as I said, works very much like um, an opera singer tuning into a glass or other resonance 
things. Oh, you know one one that we actually have that's used in medicine is actually called lithotripsy. And lithotripsy is often used to get rid of kidney stones, to break them up, to make them smaller so you can pass them through without pain or le at least a lot less pain than the big size that they are. And lithotripsy uses sound vibration to break up the kidney stones so that you can pass them through the urethra. So this would be something like that, like lithotripsy. So, um, and so supposedly this civilization on this planet, um, there was at a war, and maybe the Martians supposedly used this weapon, but in using it to destroy the planet next to them in this, this cosmic war, it blew, not only did it blow up the planet and create the asteroid belt that we see where a planet should be there according to the Fibonacci sequence, but it also blasted the atmosphere off of Mars. And that's why Mars has a very thin atmosphere and some of the inhabitants fled to go to Earth, sort of like in a Superman deal, you know, when Krypton got destroyed, a bunch of them tried to flee, and they, but most of them died, and they just sent Kal-El and a bunch of others off the planet. But some of them probably knew ahead of time that it wasn't a good idea. So they left, went to Earth, and some of the other ones went underground on Mars, which, you know, some other researchers suspect that there's a civilization still on Mars, but they're underground. But maybe not, right? But that reminds me of something interesting. Um, next year, NASA is going back to the moon. And one of the reasons is for them to install an, an infrared solar, an infrared laser communications system that's supposed to be able to communicate between the Earth and Mars. I'm oh, sorry, well, the moon and Mars and the moon and Earth and then the Earth and, and Mars and so on. So it's supposed to be a system communicating with uh, astro astronauts and settlers on the moon and also to communicate with um, a manned program going to Mars. And um, one of the reasons, and I, and I put some of this together, I suspect of them hurrying to get this communication system up there is because one, a company called Astrobotics created a rover that can fit on a rocket and also a lander to land on the moon because what else is NASA doing? They are building a solar energy collection system that is supposed to collect solar energy from the sun and store it in a large reservoir of batteries basically at the site of this solar energy collection system. And these rovers created by the company Astrobotics is then going to be tethered with a cable to this large solar solar energy collection system and it's going to drive up next to what they call lunar outposts or lunar bases to recharge them wirelessly so even so while the, the rovers will be tethered by a cable to take the energy from the solar energy collection system to transmit the energy through the cable it's going to pull up to these um, these lunar bases, these lunar outposts, and beam the energy wirelessly, just like how you can beam wireless energy to recharge a mobile device or some other devices. And what does that imply? Well, if, if they're going to be recharging lunar outposts, that means that they're planning to have humans on the moon for a long period of time. And one of the things, now this is high speculation, that's why I call this, you know, hypotheses. I call it conspiracy hypotheses sort of as clickbait, right? But is because... 
one of the other things a lot of researchers, and particularly at NASA, have been looking at is um, is a bacterium that they call, well, this nickname is, is Conan the Bacterium, but it has the name uh, radiodurans. And so radio, of course, like radio, electromagnetic frequencies, radio waves, but durans means like tough or strong, right? And so this bacterium that they found in some lakes um, has a very interesting interestingly super high resistance to solar radiation the same that you would find on Mars a planet that has a very thin to no atmosphere in some parts and they found that when they re reproduced the atmospheric conditions or the the conditions on the surface of Mars they found that this bacteria could su survive for a few minutes on the surface which nothing else known that's living can survive on the surface of Mars for any more than like fractions of seconds, like thousandths of a second, it'll just immediately die, humans and everything else. You go to the surface of the moon without proper protection, dead. But this thing survives, this bacterium survives for minutes. But if you bury it under just a small amount of soil, 10 centimeters of soil, its lifespan goes up to 200, goes up to like, 20 something i think it's two million years or something like that but then you put it under 10 meters of soil and it survives for 280 million years so one of the things that i speculated about was that they may have found some kind of life on mars even if it's microorganisms and if they did then of course they wouldn't want to bring it back to earth because if it can last that long under the surface of mars even two million years right which is way longer than the lifespan of humans. If it lives that long and it happens to be virulent, meaning it can cause infections and disease in humans or other life on the planet, then of course they don't want to bring it back. So the next best thing they can do is bring it to the moon. And that's why they're hurrying to set up this infrared laser communication system as well as um, setting up uh, these astrobotics rovers to be able to beam uh, wireless energy to the lunar outpost that they've also planned. So there's no reason to create a rover that can beam wireless energy to a lunar outpost if you're not going to have a lunar outpost, right? And there's no reason to build that first, right, and put that on the moon if you don't have, if you're not planning to build lunar outposts. And then the other thing is um, the laser communications array itself to communicate between Mars, um, sh ships going to Mars, and so it's going to communicate from Mars to the moon, and from Mars to the Earth, and from Earth to the moon. So, so it's a big triangular system. Well, it wouldn't really be a triangle depending on where in orbit Mars is, but you get the idea. And so all of that factual information of the and this is next year, 2024, is when they're sending a manned mission to the surface of Mars to set up this infrared laser communication system. And you can find this actually even on either techbriefs.com, which is a NASA website, um, but it's not a .gov site. And you can find some of the other information on nasa.gov. And also, um, my friend Christopher Birkenbein, who is a scientist, and a project manager at NASA. He works now at Edwards Air Force Base for the Armstrong Flight Research Center. Um, he just put me onto a new NASA website 
um, which I got to find and post at some point in time, um, where it's a, a, a new NASA website. I forget what it's called, but it's basically going to be um, – he told it to me. I, I hung out with him for a couple of days when he was here at Langley Air Force Base. Um, in He was at in Hampton in Newport News. We hung out at uh, in Hampton for a couple of days on Monday when he first got here and on Thursday because he left on – on Saturday to go back to California, um, but he told me about this new, um, the new website, but which is basically going to make it easier for people to find all the diverse information across all of NASA's um, publications and posts online. Um, but yeah, you can find the stuff about Astrobotics, which is a, a company that was that was contracted by NASA to create these rovers. Um, and also about the infrared laser communications uh, satellites that are going to, well, not satellites, but the system, the station that they're going to put for the infrared communication and um, various other um, stages of uh, technology they're putting up there. But it's a manned crew that's going to the, the moon for the first time in a long time that they've sent any manned crews to actually land on. And their plan is to put humans on the moon long term. So with them using statements like we're going to put humans on the moon long term with that combined with the fact that they have created with the company Astrobotics the rovers to wirelessly beam uh, to recharge lunar outposts um, and all of the other stuff, then it's not too far of a stretch of the imagination to think why they're doing this. Right, and, and again, in the light of the research being done on the uh, um, uh, radio durance, I forget what the other part of the scientific name is, but it, it'll come back to me. Something bacterium radio durance. And um, this bacterium is so scary in the fact that it can live for 280 million years on the surface. Well, under the surface of Mars, under 10 feet of Martian soil, under those conditions that they've been able to reproduce. So that is um, a pretty wild thing. But, oh, you know, but I got so far off the mark, right? Why was I even talking about that? Because of the atmosphere of Mars being blasted off by this supposedly high-energy um, scalar resonance weapon, according to at least the researcher uh, Joseph P. Farrell in his book, The Cosmic War, which talks about um, modern physics found in ancient texts, and also the interesting connections that that book and his others, so there's Babylon's Banksters is the other one, which is the alchemy of deep physics, high finance, and ancient religions, in which he talks about the origin of money and how it's deeply connected to religion and why a lot of temples were the ones who were actually minting money um, and smelting metals, specifically silver and gold, and how, like, even on our money today says, in God we trust, right, which is a throwback from ancient times in Babylon and when when the money makers and money changers were originally uh, the religious folk. And so there's these ancient connections to the making of money and um, economics, finance, and physics. And he talks about a deep physics connection, which actually goes even into a realm of what we might call metaphysics, because... Um, it's intimately connected to the alignment of planets. Like 
some researchers at RCA, Radio Corporation of America, did some research where they found, all right, hold on for a second here. All right. Um, so this, uh, um, this deep physics connection has to do with the alignment of planetary bodies. And Radio Corporation of America was doing this research, and um, they found through their research that um, when the planets are at 0, 90, 180, and 270 degrees alignments from each other, that there are degradations in radio signals every single time across the Earth, which leads me to also another thing. I, I think Richard C. Hoagland was one of the authors of Dark Mission, The Secret History of NASA, where he talks about um, how every single one of NASA's um, missions had a constellation like Leo and Virgo and all that stuff like that hovering at a 19.5 degree angle over um, the launch and or the landing site of each and every single one of their missions. Um, and 19.5 degrees is significant because this is the, the, the latitude at which all of the coronal mass ejections or CMEs, also known as solar flares, happen on the sun north and south of its equator. The CMEs happen at 19.5 degrees north and 19.5 degrees south of the equator. And also... Um, on uh, on Neptune, the great dark spot, uh, it, the it's found at 19.5 degrees north, I believe, and in um, Jupiter, the great red spot is found at 19.5 degrees south of its equator, and uh, Olympus Mons on Mars is found at 19.5 degrees south of its equator, whereas uh, Mauna Kea, the tallest mountain on Earth, from the seafloor to the bottom, not Mount Everest is at the surface of the Earth, but from the seafloor to the top, uh, Mauna Kea volcano in Hawaii is the tallest mountain on Earth, and it's located at 19.5 degrees north of our equator on Earth. So it's all those things, and the, and accorded, uh, uh, reportedly by Richard C. Hoagland in the book Dark Mission, The Secret History of NASA, um, they're doing these kind of things where the, the constellations are at 19.5 degree angles above either the launch site and or the landing site um, from their their space missions. So I find that interesting, if all of that stuff is, is true, um, that that would be happening. It's fascinating um, that you would take that much time to do that. But all of this, you know, back to um, supposedly Nikola Tesla's uh, technology being a planet busting potential technology that has the power to destroy worlds and even the and even stars which our sun is a star of course so can you imagine having that uh, potential energy to do such things so that in itself is is endlessly fascinating um, for a conspiracy theory so let me take a puff off of my uh, vape here as I come to find out where I'm picking up my next uh, ride. I'm getting hungry again soon here. I don't know if I'm going to stop anytime soon to take a break, though. I might ride into the
till the sun starts coming up. So, let's see. The books that I'm drawing off of, um, one of them I don't have in my possession currently, although I should order it, which is The Cosmic War by um, Joseph P. Farrell also. Um, I do have another one of his that I recently got from 2016, which is, uh, let me see, what's it called? I have it right next to me on my seat in the car here. It's actually called, uh, turn on the camera here and show it, um, Joseph P. Farrell. It's called Hidden Finance, um, Rogue Networks, and Secret Sorcery. So that's the next one from Joseph P. Farrell that I have. Um, and, uh, you know, I was reminded to actually start reading Babylon's Banksters, um, because of looking at stuff like the Capitalist Manifesto by Robert Kiyosaki. Um, and I'm doing a lot of research for my business. Robert Kiyosaki also wrote, um, this book called Fake, um, Fake Money, Fake Teachers, Fake Assets, How Lies Are Making the Poor and Middle Class Poorer, um, as well as, um, the Real Book of Real Estate, um, and uh, he's the writer of his book in 1997 when I first read this book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which was, um, this is the 25th year anniversary, it's been the number one personal financial book of all times, and so I started looking into the origins more of money. Why? Because I started hearing a lot about Adam Smith, who wrote the book Wealth of Nations, which I also have here. Um, and uh, Adam Smith, Wealth of Nations, the book is a great read. It was published in 1776. Adam Smith was a well-connected dude. His philosophy is still used even in modern books and modern textbooks. As a matter of fact, um, one of the books that I have called um, The Little Book of Economics as well as um, uh, How Money Works, which I'm reading in tandem for my podcasts, um, called Wealth Attraction Research based off of my um, website, um, exercisingyourmind.com. Uh, in that, in those books, they mention Adam Smith several times in the book. So he's still highly influential in what's today known as free market capitalism. And so I decided if I'm looking that far back to, uh, you know, to Adam Smith, Wealth of Nations, 1776, it reminded me to go even deeper back. And so that's one of the things that Babylon's Banksters by Joseph P. Farrell talks about is going way back, of course, because it's in the title, Babylon, right? Uh, Babylon, Sumer, those ancient um, societies and things like that that have supposedly this this deep physics. In fact, that's the, the subtitle, as I mentioned earlier, of his book, Babylon's Bank Banksters, is The Alchemy of Deep Physics high finance and ancient religions and it's a fascinating read he's a great storyteller so regardless of if you think that anything in his book is real or not it doesn't matter um, it's a fascinating read in that um, even if it was just purely science fiction um, like once again Christopher Birkenbein one of the things that he said to me was that you know he even though he doesn't agree with the conclusions of a lot of conspiracy theorists or if at all if he does at all he, he likes the fact that they bring to light a lot of research that he may have never heard of. So even though they draw on real research and things like that, 
um, and they bring those things up. It's good to find that stuff that he might not have seen before, even though he doesn't um, he doesn't he doesn't agree with the conclusions. He appreciates the research that they bring to light, and so you can even just look at it like that by reading Babylon's Banksters. So one of the things that I'll do is first I will publish the um, I'll put the link here in the the show notes for um, those uh, for Babylon's Banksters, which actually um, thanks to William Bonatati, he's the one who actually dug it up from archive.org for me. I didn't know that um, I could find it on archive.org, but he was the one who pulled it up from there for me on archive.org. All right, so again, Babylon's Banksters, I'll put the link to that. And again, the subtitle of the book is uh, The Alchemy of, um, of Deep Physics, um, High Finance, and Ancient Religions. And so um, I'll find that link. And then what else is the other link I was going to put to on here? Um, man, there's just there's so much. But I could, oh, um, exercisingyourmind.com, my website that I um, am doing the Wealth Attraction Research podcast on Spreaker. And I actually just shared a link to that earlier. Oh, there's the link is least to that. So there's a link to that, my, my whole list of podcasts there in the chat. And I've been putting the website exercisingyourmind.com in all of those podcasts, which I should update as well. Um, and all the future ones, i got to make sure that I put it there. So I've noticed it's been getting a lot more traction to the podcast and to the website by doing that. But back to Nikola Tesla. right? So I went through all of that stuff through the Cosmic War, um, modern physics and ancient texts, um, and you know Joseph P. Farrell's other book that I just recently got um, since I've been up here in Richmond for a few days since Friday, I ordered it uh, a couple weeks ago, the last time I was up here. And um, and because of what he is talking about in Babylon's Banksters, um, about Nikola Tesla's technology that not only could benefit humanity by providing free energy all throughout the world wirelessly at in extremely high amounts, but also it could possibly be used as a weapon, which was the precursor because they called it, hello, Maria, how you doing? They called it a, um, a, a death ray back in the day of Tesla in the newspapers at that time. But now people are calling them, you know, direct energy weapons and they're blaming, well, a bunch of conspiracy theorists are saying that that's what happened in Hawaii is because of the things that they've seen. But that could also be said for a bunch of the wildfires that happened in California where you'll see individual houses completely destroyed while the trees and other houses around them are completely untouched, where it looks like a direct hit of energy, like a, light, like a lightning blast. But even lightning wouldn't do that. 
Lightning causes collateral damage to structures around it, in some cases because of the fire that ensues from the heat from the electric discharge. So sometimes you have more damage from lightning strikes than you would, but these look like precision strikes from, if you will, like a laser, like a laser beam of some kind or a high-energy directed weapon to the site, which, as we know from the highly active Aurora Research Project, also known as HARP, see, people seem to forget about that in Kokona, Alaska, which could be considered to be a a high-energy weapon, which supposedly they were doing it for atmospheric research, but they're beaming like... um, 100 megawatt beams into the atmosphere to do this atmospheric testing. And that's like the difference between, you know, a flashlight and a laser, right? The, the concentration power of beaming um, hundreds of gigawatts of energy into the atmosphere is ridiculous for, you know, atmospheric research. But there's all kind of stuff like that. Even um, a lot of the atmospheric research that's being done one thing that, that crept me out... Hey, Maria, what's up? I was just... I'm sure you are, but are, are you aware what what an unbelievable asshole Thomas Edison was? Um, well, yeah, I've heard. I mean, he was an unbelievable asshole. I mean, him and also Marconi, who, who stole Nikola Tesla's... Um, technology and released a radio experiment before Tesla did, even though it was based off of his tech. But yeah, Thomas Edison was a big, great big jerk. So it was uh, J.P. Morgan, who originally funded Tesla's work, and a bunch of those other guys. They they really did a number on him and, and suppressed a lot of his research. But, um, yeah, there's, uh... Yeah, Thomas Edison was an unbelievable asshole. Well, at least that's how the story goes, right? I mean, I wasn't there. Um, I wasn't there either. Yeah, but, you know, one of the things I was talking about is, uh, how when, after Nikola Tesla set up his research, uh, lab at this place called, that he called Wardenclyffe, um... When Marconi did his test of radio, right, for the telephone and telegraph, um, J.P. Morgan very soon after that pulled his funding. And so Tesla started getting desperate and for funding because, you know, he needed to continue his research. And um, because of this, there was this thing called the Tunguska um, uh, incident that happened in Russia and near Siberia and where like a whole giant piece of the forest was destroyed and like 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 a whole bunch of like a whole uh, herd of of reindeer like hundreds of reindeer were killed um, but it was an unpopulated area so no no humans were killed and supposedly Tesla wanted to demonstrate the power of his technology where he could not only wirelessly uh, send energy to people all over the earth and give people you know energy um, but it could also be used as a communication system. But since his funding was being pulled, he got desperate and he tested it over that area because some of the things about that was there was no debris found and there was no impact crater. So it didn't look like any physical object actually hit and destroyed that area of the forest. And um, 
And so there's uh, some really interesting stuff that goes along with that from what's being laid out in this book, uh, Babylon's Banksters. It's actually covering a lot of where money comes from, but also uh, the, the subtitle of the book is, is uh, The Alchemy of Deep Physics, High Finance, and Ancient Religions. And all those things are connected um, to economics, um, physics, and religion. Are, and uh, man, there's so many connections from so many different authors, like Richard C. Hoagland, who wrote Dark Mission, The Secret History of NASA, um, Joseph P. Farrell, who wrote Babylon's Banksters, and uh, Paul A. LaViolette, who wrote Secrets of Anti-Gravity Propulsion, all have books that point to a deeper physics, which is based on vibration and resonance, um, and uh, are actually the controlling factors holding the solar system and galaxies together more than, and is actually responsible the underlying underlying creating force of gravity and um, one of the things interesting about this research is that one of the, the theories that, that physicists talk about the sun is that basically the sun is like a, a bunch of hydrogen bombs going off over and over and over again right but what they found is that the energy being output and the um, the high energy particles coming out of the sun is way way below the high energy particles coming off of it that the the predictions and mathematics and other tests of things like this should be giving and so they're saying that it's not possible that this this theory about the sun basically being a hydrogen fuel or rea a hydrogen reactor you know, basically exploding like, like hydrogen bombs over and over again is not true. And that instead, that it seems to be that the energy is coming from somewhere else, from a hyperdimensional space. And that the sun and other stars are actually hyperdimensional gateways that act as transponders or transmitters of that energy from extra dimensions that um, we are not able to perceive yet. And that a lot of these secret organizations have been for a long time attempting to try to figure out exactly how to type into that hyperdimensional physics to be able to use that energy for themselves um, on Earth to, for basically like freaking Cobra from G.I. Joe for world dominance, right? Because um, whoever holds that um, is the, the boss of the game. But um, supposedly some of them already have it and that instead that... Um, What's really happening is that this technology is already in the hands of a bunch of these different factions. But what we have on as as everyday folks and even the military, we don't have anything close to that technology. And so we're stuck with mobile devices and very primitive technology in comparison. And we're being held in a closed system rather than an open system like the universe actually is. Um, and a closed system of economics, a closed system of physics that basically doesn't allow for anything more than the, um, the the physics that we're allowed to to know of in universities and things like that is really just to keep us happy with our technology and stuff like that, but it's nowhere near what's possible. Because as, um, what's his name, Richard Dolan, another researcher, um, they call these breakaway civilizations. And so these breakaway civilizations are in possession of this high technology that came from high civilizations before 
Um, but and they're flying all around the galaxy and all around the universe even and having a blast while we're stuck here on Earth, just kind of just taking their scraps, which is what and but we think everything is so high technology here. That's according to these researchers, if you will. But again, a lot of them are really great writers, and if you only just take it as a good piece of science fiction, it's entertaining enough as it is. So, Maria, what uh, are you doing up at these wee hours of the morning? It's almost 3 o'clock over here in Eastern Standard Time. And I see Chardol's down there hanging out since I opened up this room. Uh, Plumpy was in here earlier, and I shared with him some links that he wanted to check out. Yeah, I know. Talking about uh, physics and finance will put anybody to sleep, Maria. It's uh, not the most exciting subject. That's why it's fun to look at books like The Cosmic War and uh, Babylon's Banksters, because they make learning about nerdy stuff very exciting, especially when you think about the stuff they're talking about, about destroying whole planets with scalar resonance weapons and manipulating stars. Like Paul Ella Violet has um, a book called The Message from the Pulsars or something like that, and then Origin of the Cosmos, which him and other researchers like Richard C. Hoagland, who wrote Dark Mission, Paul Ella Violet's Origin of the Cosmos, and several books by um, Joseph P. Farrell talk about that the underlying structure of this deeper physics can actually be found in astrology and tarot. And again, pointing to the research of RCA or Radio Corporation of America that found like degradation in radio signals every single time the planets are aligned at 0, 90, 180, and 270 degrees from each other. Um, and that is every single time. Not just sometimes, but every single time. And why every single NASA mission has a constellation of Leo or Virgo or something like that at a 19.5 degree angle directly above the launch site and or the landing site. Whether they claim the missions are late in getting off the ground or ahead of schedule or on time, every single time there's a, a constellation at a 19.5 degree angle above their landing or, and or launch site. And so this is another thing of like alignment. So they're very interested in in celestial geometry and making up alignments and things like that. And the fact that so many things happen at 19.5 degrees uh, from the equator of different planets, like Olympus Mons on Mars is at 19.5 degrees south of its equator. The tallest mountain on Earth, which is Mauna Kea, when you measure it from the seafloor to the top, in Hawaii is at 19.5 degrees north of Earth's equator. The great dark spot on Neptune is 19.5 degrees north of its equator, and the great red spot on Jupiter is 19.5 degrees south of its equator. And all of the solar flares, or CMEs, or coronal mass ejections, happen at 19.5 degrees north and south of the sun's equator every time. So it's interesting that there are those features in our solar system, and that NASA 
reportedly, supposedly, is also using those same um, that same degrees of 19.5 to launch their missions from and land also with these constellations above it. So it's just um, it's just a really really interesting thing with this whole geometry and the connections between planetary alignments, which is basically another way of talking about astrology. And then also the underlying wave frequencies in which everything in nature happens in cycles. So on and on and on again, you got cycles, you got waves, you've got nested waves, you got cycles within cycles within cycles. And then, of course, you have string theory. Yes, which is another one of these uh, interesting theories that deals with cycles and waves. So, yeah, reading all this stuff uh, paints a very interesting picture. And the thesis, if you will, at least not a hypo hypothesis, which is why I say uh, conspiracy hypothesis, because what do I know? I just read a lot of books and watch a lot of weird videos and make connections in fiction and fantasy movies because they're fun to tie it all together. Like, for example, when I first watched the, one of the first Star Trek movies, they mentioned something called an external inertial dampener. And that immediately reminded me of the anti-gravity uh, technology that Paul A. LaViolette was talking about, in which you can completely cancel the inertia inside of a vehicle by having it being pushed by a gravity well while simultaneously being pulled by a gravity hill. I mean, sorry, being pushed by a gravity hill while simultaneously being pulled by a gravity well, thereby canceling inertia and allowing the inhabitants to move much faster, even at the speed of light or beyond, without any damage to the occupants or the vehicle itself. Well, one of my best friends works in the engineering school, and, you know, he gets really touchy because he's not an engineer, he's a physicist. Right. Um, so... Don't call him an engineer. He's a physicist. But I, I thinking you said one of the first Star Trek movies, but that sounds like First Contact. Well, I meant the reboot with, um, um, I, yeah, I wasn't talking about the original one. I, I misspoke. I, should, I didn't give enough detail. I meant no, the reboot I, of it. It sounds exactly like first contact that where they go back in time after the Borg invasion and they have to go outside the ship to counteract the Borg contacting, well, yeah, the inertia inhibitor. Okay. I'm pretty sure it was that film. Not, not that I'm trying to correct you on any level. No, 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 no. That's pretty cool that, that, that there's additional um, use of that because, you know, the reboot of it was based on the original um, TV series and movies. So 
they put they packed a lot of stuff into that that came in that movie which was i didn't know that but then my roommate kevin green he is a huge star trek fan he has all of the vhs's and dvds of all the movies of, uh, and tv shows you could possibly find so we did a whole marathon watching of it after i watched the reboot and i saw how many of those original things were contained in it Yeah. Yes, yeah, Star Trek is a really fascinating study about, you know, speculation and imagination that turned out to be true uh, in in technology terms. Yeah, well, I mean, oftentimes science fiction can be a precursor to science fact, right? <laughs> I I hope so. I, I hope so. Well, I it, I hope imagination takes us where we should be going. I I hope so. Imagination is uh, beautiful. Imagination is wonderful. I am I am definitely a creature who enjoy spending a lot of time in my imagination. I'm the exact same way. I I I love laying in my bed, not asleep, but drifting in and out, snuggy and comfortable and just wandering around in my head. That's basically my favorite activity. I do that a lot, too. It's fun. Well, it looks like I'm going to take a break from uh, driving for a little while because I didn't get any requests after that last one, which usually comes in right away. So that was a sign and signal for me to go to a Wawa, get a salad, and uh, chill out for a little bit. Chill a, chill a spell. And uh, so, again... Hello, Greg. How you doing, sir? And, What's Wawa? Um, Wawa is well. First of all, it's the name of a goo, uh, the name for goose in uh, one of the First Nations language, uh, specifically like the Inuit or the what people call Eskimos, um, I believe. Um, and uh, it's also a basically, I like to call it the local local person's truck stop because it has like 50 parking spaces. They don't care if you park there overnight um, and stay there for a long, long time, which a lot of people do. And a lot of trucks and different transportation businesses pass through there. Um, but they have decent food and it's a huge gas station as well. So it's gas, food. Basically, it's, it's basically the, the next best thing to a truck stop that you can get. But they have, they're all over the place here in uh, Virginia. I mean, they're phenomenal. I mean, I'm, I don't know what I would do in Virginia without them. Just as much as I travel all over the state, I mean, they're so, so cool. And uh, there's one about 2.8 miles from me, which I'm going to go to right now. Oh, and they're open 24 hours. Much better than 7-Elevens, I would say. Um, at least I think that, I think so. Yeah, we don't have 7-Elevens here. Well, you're uh, probably lucky. Have, but my grandparents in Florida 
had a 7-Eleven we could walk to. Yeah, I mean, they're they're all right. They were they were a convenience store that was good for what they are. Um, a lot of immigrant families tend to own them as franchises because um, they're very enterprising folks, especially mainly they're they're usually owned by a lot of people from India and Pakistan in that part of the world. Interesting enough, yeah. is what I see the most demographic. So well, it's like all the better. Yeah, I mean, people are enterprising. They, you know, that's what people come here for, the so-called American dream. So that's one way to do it is by owning a, a successful tr tried and true proven franchise model. You know, I mean, shoot, I'd open a Wawa or a 7-Eleven. Uh, I should actually look into that, actually. I should yeah, just don't don't franchise a subway. Well, definitely not. I don't like subway at all and i would prefer no. wawa over uh, over um you know subway or 7-eleven any day yeah when i was a kid we had convenience stores yeah. they're called convenient with that uh tacky uh yellow orange and brown decor like so many yep. things in the seventies did. Yeah, that those earth tones. <laughs> yeah, I remember all that, especially in New York. We had those, and we had bodegas. They were pretty cool. So, did I ask this already? I mean. You're up at this wee hours of the morning. Are you just uh, not sleeping yet, or did you wake up from sleep and? Um, I slept. Uh, I laid down about nine and got up around midnight okay. or a little after. And usually I just, when I wake up like that, I just do meditative rest Yeah. instead of getting up. But uh, tonight, for whatever reason, I just had to get up. Yeah, I get that. Sometimes you gotta got to come back to the world for a little while. But generally, I'm a constructive rest type. Yeah, of. I do that too. I, I completely understood when you said that. Constructive rest. Yeah, but there are rare exceptions, and tonight was one of them. Although, I don't always feel like my rest has to be constructive, because a lot of times what I do... I hardly ever finish them as I put on a movie in the background and start watching it and it puts me right to sleep. Yeah, I don't I don't do that. I don't have any type of media in my bedroom. I have to go to a different room in the house to access Yeah. 
which is probably a good idea when you're sleeping for most people. Um, but because I'm not, I'm away from home most of the time. My bedroom is sometimes the backseat of my car or a hotel because, like right now, I'm like a hundred something miles away from home, and I've been here for a couple of days, and because um, I just like not being close to home. I like being away from where people know me, you know. And I'm not really, I don't, you know, my house is in Virginia Beach, but I'm not there. No. I I understand that entirely. I I don't relate to that as much as I used to. Um, well, when I, I was no. younger. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. When I was younger, you know, five dollars in my gas tank would get me from Louisville to St. Louis and back, uh, you know, so when I got my license when I was young, if I had a few days off work and school at the same time and a few dollars in my pocket, I would just take off. Yeah. I, I would just take off not caring about what where I was going and what I would do when I get there. And I did that all the time. Yep. I remember just 20 years ago in 2000 when I would drive back and forth from Florida to Virginia, take a 14-hour drive, where gas was 89, sometimes at the most 99 cents a gallon. And it's five, six times that now. Well, it's like it's right now I'm... Well, actually, now it's three times that because I'm I'm just pulling up to the gap to the Wawa right now. It's three sixty-two, so it's not that bad. So three times, three point six times as much as it was twenty years ago. That's not so bad as far as gas prices go. Yeah, but still. Yeah, especially when you consider that people aren't really earning that much more hourly than, you know, 20 years ago, yeah, it could be problematic. Because uh, the cost of things, the inflation of prices, the income is not keeping pace with it as much as it could. The value of the real dollar. Yep. Well, it's a fiat currency. It's not backed by anything tangible. Well, they took the dollar off the gold standard, Nixon, and then officially, and then they put it onto the the Bretton Woods Agreement, made a uh, made it the petrodollar, where it was backed by Saudi oil and things like that. So yeah, the gold backing uh, Nixon thing was 1971. That's correct, 1971. That's precisely when it was, my dear. Ooh, nice. And it's it's gonna be another shift I in a lot of you know, currency has three functions, you know, store of wealth, medium of exchange and gauge of value and uh, we're moving more and more away from 
currency that functions with medium of exchange or gauge of value and you know store of wealth is just dominating everything and you know so currency is really failing in two of its primary purposes because we're being dominated by so many oligarchic interests it's it's really really kind of scary honestly mm. you you can't really even if you have gold around you you can't go to the grocery and pay for you know your groceries with part of a gold coin you can't put gas in your car with part of a gold coin there's no way of doing that so medium of exchange and engage a value are losing their function yeah i mean technically you could if you want if you went to the person and showed them on your device and said hey this is the spot price of gold or like silver for example you could say this is the spot price of silver how about if, if i give you this this coin would you be willing to take the cash out of your pocket and pay for my gas for me and you can have this silver coin i mean that would be a long way of doing it, and, and, and it's highly speculative if anyone would take you up on that offer, right? Exactly. Yeah. Who would do that? Because <laughs> you have to, what are they called, numismatic exchanges? Yeah, numismatic exchanges, yeah. Numismatic exchanges, thank you. But there's there's only one maybe two of those in most cities yeah i mean there's a few places because uh, i buy silver coins all the time and so i know a few locations in virginia beach that i've gone to there's two of them that i go to there and there's um one that i go to here in richmond um, that i found when i was here and i buy silver bullion just to plain bars and also silver gold eagles and also i have a um the canadian make i have a, a mexican one a canadian one and i have the united states gold or silver eagles as well well i i do the same thing but i'm just saying practically speaking oh of course practically speaking yeah. and you know when I go to those places and cash something in, you know, they always think I'm a really shady character. I stole it off of somebody. I have to sign a bunch of stuff. So if I have to go through that at the actual exchange, you know, what, what would that look like? at the grocery and you know I I don't mean anything by this but if when I go there and cash something in 
it's just like I'm a very small stature female, but I apparently am very shady and suspicious. So those are just weird folks thinking that. <sighs> I know, but if it's that hard at at the exchanges, you know, how how hard would it be to talk to a minimum wage attendant at a gas station or oh, at the grocery? Yeah, of course. I mean, I was just putting that out there as just like a possibility, highly improbable. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, I wouldn't get rid of my silver coins anyway. I like collecting them. I think they're great. I think they're great collectible items. No, I, I, I don't disagree. It's, I, I definitely relate to having things that you know have intrinsic value. Well, I don't even know so much about the, the value of uh, of those things really beyond the fact that you know maybe uh, we might value them but they're only useful in certain industrial uses like silver and gold and things like that um, oh I've I've worked with a bunch of engineers and they use gold nanoparticles all the time constantly for the early detection and treatment of breast cancer. Uh, gold is the most conductive metal of them all. And it's fairly light, um, lightweight. Yeah. So gold is really perfect for uh, nanotherapies. It's it's like the perfect metal for that. Yeah, gold nanoparticles are good for that. They use they use gold nanoparticles and other particles for those things. Um, I forget which other ones. I used to do a lot of reading up on that. Not so much lately, but yeah. Well. I'm I'm glad engineers are doing that work. Yeah, um, I am too. Somebody's got to do it. And it's, uh, seems like a like an interesting line of research in nanotechnology. I enjoy it a great deal to learn about it, read about it, and I'm glad that I'm able to use it, like right now. I'm sure that there are some gold or other highly conductive components in the technology I'm using in my headset, as well as uh, the mobile devices, right?
excited to get this food into me. And I'm probably gonna, I don't know, I might drive a little bit more. So, what do you get to eat at a Wawa? Well, I just got a spring mix salad with chopped romaine, spinach, black beans, shredded carrots, cucumbers, slivered onions, sunflower seeds, roasted, roasted veggies, and chicken strips. My goodness. Yep. I just have plain old stuffed peppers with Cajun rice and Italian sausage with pepper jack cheese in my refrigerator. Well, that still sounds like it might be delicious. Yeah, but mine is homemade. Ha, 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 ha. So I would make things at home if I were at home, but that I seldom am. Understood. It sounds like you scored at the Wawa. Yeah. And they've uh, they're a lifesaver. I think I shall let you eat it. Yeah, well, it seems like that doesn't look like anybody's making the food right now, so I might have to oh. wait a while. You're speaking rather quietly. I can't hear you. I said uh, it might take a while before I can get my food. It doesn't look like anybody's making it. I... I only heard a snippet about something being nudity dependent. Hey. All right, let's see to this refueling of my lovely buggy. Uh, and I drive so much. I like it. I like it a lot. like the color and the style of the car as well. Look at this, how ridiculous my my, pass, my passenger, front passenger seat is. It's, uh, let's see, flip camera. Look at that. Those are my books sitting there. I got books. I got a, a lap desk for my books. And, and underneath my hat and everything, there's more books. It's all books. Books, tech tech everywhere and 
Yeah. And my my red buggy. Which I need to give her a wash at some point in time, but it's rained so much here that I that I haven't really um been keen to wash it. And as I wait for it to fuel, see what uh, paint up some touch up paint. There's wheels, a couple of minor scuff marks on here. Hakeem? Yeah. I'm sorry I had to run away for a minute, but I need to run away for the night. And That's I good. I just Do wanted to will. say... I always love talking to you, and I wanted to say good night, my love. Well, good night to you, my love. I appreciate you always, and I love talking to you, too. All right. Be safe, be careful, and take care of yourself. All right, you too. Take care. And I look forward to talking to you again soon. Indeed. Indeed. Bye for now. All right. That was the lovely Maria sharing some time and talk with me here. And I'm going to go and check and see if I'm getting any food made over here. And then I will, let's see, what time have I been on here? This might be a good time to close it out. Yes, it's an hour and 30 minutes, so that's sufficient for this. And, uh, yep, that's good enough. Yeah, it's time to end this. So it was a fun time here for me uh, probing my own brain for my conspiracy hypothesis. Until next.